Uh, so why don't we just relax? We're going to have a quick conversation about stuff that you guys are experts in, you know, just like we normally do. The only thing we're missing is some drinks. But then again, I can't fully see everything going on. So who knows what you have off camera? Uh, could be a fully stocked bar just out of frame there. Welcome. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, you've seen the other one that we recorded. Uh, Chuck and I have started doing these labor thoughts podcast. The, uh, we had a couple that we recorded, gosh, what was it, Chuck, early last year or something like that? Um, yeah. They were much longer form, and I've had this discussion with you guys. So we're trying to cut them down, get them a lot shorter, more focused, and uh, more beneficial to our chapter managers and our field, man- or our field representatives. So we have some chapter managers on this recording today, as well as one of our field reps. Um, so the title of today's podcast is Data-Driven Negotiations. Uh, you are all uh, either have been chapter managers or are currently a chapter manager, and you have to bargain uh, regularly with your local unions. Um, and when you go into that, you obviously have material that you present, material that you make available to your contractors. Uh, so I want to talk to you about what you use, where you get it, why you use it, and is it impactful? Uh, and the, the end result of this is going to be to be able to maybe provide some ideas and some resources to other chapter managers uh, out there that might see this. Uh, they'll know where to go to get this kind of information. In, in doing that, let's let's start with a quick introduction. I'm Ryan Courtney, the Executive Director of Labor Relations for NECA. Uh, but let's move off over to my left. Uh, Jason, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Jason Walton. I am the Chapter Manager for the North Central Ohio Chapter NECA in Akron, Canton, and Steubenville, Ohio. Thank you, Jason. Mike? Mike Evans, Eastern Region Field Rep. Katie? I'm Katie. I'm Kiri. I'm the chapter manager for the North Florida chapter of NECA. Luke? I'm Luke Cool. I'm the chapter manager from the St. Paul chapter of NECA in Minnesota. Thank you, sir. And last but certainly not least. I'm Chuck Kelly, retired executive director of labor relations. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for doing uh, this. Let's start with the, the highest level question. How important is data? when bargaining. And what I'm talking about is data as a whole, whether we're looking at national economic data, whether we're talking market share, or whether we're talking something as granular as what's going on in the city, where the union is located, where the chapter is located. Jason, lead us off. Uh, for me, is extremely important. We, we have uh, three widely different locals and man hours come into a big play of that. Also, when you look at traveling members that come in from out of town, the hours they're working. And um, so, yeah, it's extremely useful. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to mix it up a little. Um, Luke? Yeah, data is extremely important. It, it, you know, it sets the stage for what's going to happen. And, you know, data in and of itself isn't always the most useful, but when you can create a narrative and have data that drives that narrative, you're going to set yourself up for success in negotiations. Thank you, sir. Katie. Data is incredibly important for creating the framework for at least your starting point in negotiations for you to understand your market and how your market relates to your manpower and the other markets around you. Um, That's going to be where you start to create where you're working from. Awesome. Mike? Data are the facts-driven negotiations establishes trust between the parties. It validates all the concerns that are brought to the table. It effectively illustrates the climate of that market. 
and uh, some of the trends. You can identify, you know, what's coming down the pipe that may have an impact to the bottom dollar or our competitive nature. All right, Chuck, what do you say? Data, important? Yes, it is important, but as pointed out here, um, it has to be used in context with your own situation. A bunch of numbers or facts that you just throw on the table that don't relate to anything you're asking for or that the union is arguing um, don't really do you any good. Awesome. All right, so I guess we can proceed with the rest of the questions then, because if you would have all answered no to that, we would have just called it a day right here and then moved on to, to some other topic. What, what information do you guys provide when you're bargaining? Um, and, and when you're answering this, I wanna know what do you provide to your team, so your management team, what you provide to labor, is there a difference or does everybody get the same thing? If there is a difference, what is it and why? Katie, why don't you kick us off? So for our management team, we provide everything basically from, from the large level down to the microscopic level. And, and we'll look at CLRC data and we'll look at uh, Bureau of Labor Statistic data and we'll look at NEBF hours um, and how we compare to other areas, but then we'll really take into account what our local area is doing. And we track our man hours month by month and we present to them the three years of our negotiation cycle and how they compare to the last 10 years as well as the last 20 years. We actually don't change any of the data for things that we share with the unions. If your binder ends up in the hands of the union, um, they, they are no different from each other. And part of that really relates back to what Mike was talking about with the, the trust. We're not holding any data. We're telling them, you know, this is why we've come to this conclusion. This is what we're looking at. Mike, since she called you out, I know you're not a chapter manager now, but you were in a former life. How did you run your bargaining? Uh, very similar to Katie. Once we entered into negotiations, I created the negotiation books or the binders, which I compiled all the data from NEBF, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, CLRC, which is pretty common in our, our trade or industry. Um, I also incorporated the monthly payroll reports, the NPRs, to establish those trends. Awesome, good points. Uh, to keep you guys on your toes, I know you called out Jason, uh, so I'm going to call on Luke to answer that question now. Yeah, so I, I prepare a, a folder very similar to what containing all the information everyone else is talking about. I also uh, include a lot of information about other building trade settlements in the jurisdiction. The negotiations committee on the management side has all of the data that I provide that I can in theirs. And then we, on a limited basis, share with the union. Although I think in the next cycle, we're going to be sharing more because uh, the union really liked what was presented last time. And in fact, after negotiations came back to me and said, hey, can you share some of that information, some of those graphs with us? Because we don't have that information. All right. Well, Jason, you're up, man. So the one thing I do want to say that it's kind of ironic because I had no idea who was going to be on this, this group or this discussion. You know, I have literally stolen ideas from the other three chapter managers on this call from different ideas. I had a lot of conversations with Mike when I first started, he gave me some great ideas with the binders and 
information that he included and just some tools to give to the contractors. Uh, Luke and Katie and I have talked numerous times about different information and sharing that with the local union. So I just think it's important to note the fact that use your resources with your other fellow chapter managers of ideas. But the, the main things that we provide are the man hours, uh, CPI, you know, cost of living, and inflation. That's the main things that we really look at. And I share all of that with the local union just because, to Mike's point, transparency and building that relationship. And I didn't do that in the beginning. And now I've started to do that a lot more throughout my career just because it takes that element of surprise away. And I want them to know exactly what we're all looking at when we go in there. So there's no surprises. We were in a residential negotiations and literally 80% of the unit was being paid over journeyman's pay. Um, so when the contractors came in, you know, we were looking at our raise rates or our wages that we were going to discuss. The first thing the union came back with is like, we hope you understand that 80% of these people are being paid over scale right now. So before we start talking about money, keep that in mind. And so now I, I use that, that data as well, just to kind of set the course for the discussion and know which way we're going to go. In that scenario, you just proposed where they had or 80% were being paid above scale. Um, and I may have missed this. Did you know that going in? I did not know that. No, they, they knew that before me. And now I really look at those uh, payroll reports very closely and, and then, you know, inspect them. So, yeah, it was a, it was a surprise. I take it from the smiles of the other uh, people on the screen here that uh, I think we all have a story that we can tell of not knowing something before we go in negotiations and it being, uh, I guess, that that trap lying in wait. I am not entirely sure if it's possible to ever be overprepared for bargaining. You can never be too prepared. If, if you're putting together information, even if it's just for you to have and you're not sharing it with your team, have it. Have it available because you're going to regret it when you're sitting in the room. And, and do your best to know what you don't know. The scenario that Jason just laid out where a bunch of people or most people are getting paid over scale, you have everything you need to know that. Go pull your NPRs like they talked about. If you have an electronic benefit reporting system, it's all right there. Um, if you don't have it, ask your contractor. That's a great one to ask. Just get the information from them. You don't have to share it. You don't have to share contractor A with contractor B. In fact, you shouldn't, uh, but get it to know it. Go ahead, Jason. One other thing that I do probably lean on a little bit more than I should, nobody knows what CIR is going to do. I know that's a dangerous road to go down because no one knows what they're going to do with your particular case, but I do use that a lot to my advantage to try to settle it at home versus going somewhere else they haven't settled for us. As a representative of the CIR, I can say we're perfectly okay being used as the bad guy in negotiations like that. That's fine with us. Um, I saved the best for last. Uh, Chuck, uh, how did you prepare? What did you provide? Well, we didn't exchange our information with the union at all. I provided my committee with, with what I knew, what our hours were, what didn't have a really good uh, market share computation then, but we didn't argue over market share then. As one of our members said during our worst negotiations, uh, we may have 50% of the market, but 50% of nothing is nothing. Things were pretty lean a couple of times, um, but I'm impressed by all the information that you all have gathered and, and talked about. I think it's a very good tactical move to give the union what you have and get them to buy in that that is the information. You may not agree at 
to what it points to, but at least you've agreed on whether it's valid or not, which gives you a place to build from. So let's let's talk a little bit about this data that you guys provide. What I want to do is kind of go around each of you again and just focus on the national information you provide. Um, so tell me what you what you put in the book, why you put it there, and how it's presented. Uh, so let's start with Mike. All righty. Uh, a lot of the data that I used nationally would be the CPI. That's one of the things a labor brings to the table, you know, cost of living. And recently it's been established that 3% is the norm. What is 3% the norm? Where, where is that coming from? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think over the years, it's just been the settlements have been around 3%, a total package. So the perception is 3% is the settlement. So I guess to summarize what you're saying there, so you pull uh, CPI or cost of living information. Where do you go for that number? There are several components to that equation. And, and back to how do you effectively communicate or illustrate that to the other side. Again, a lot of this is an educational opportunity for both sides. I take the CPI versus the actual, and I would build a spreadsheet, Excel as my friend, and I would always do everything. I Not only would it be data-driven, but it, I would also have illustrations that would show the trends. So if you go from year over year, um, you know, over a 10-year span, you're going to see that gradual growth or the smoothing, kind of like the smoothing effect. Uh, I want to stay on this cost of living train for a second. Obviously, I guess by show of hands, who uses cost of living when you're bargaining? So the only one that didn't is Katie. Uh, so Katie, I'm now all eyes are on you. Why do you not use it? So rather than cost of living increases, we look more directly at things coming out of our industry. And for argument's sake, a lot of times we'll look at things that are produced by jointly by uh, Nika and the IBEW, because although we may disagree on the numbers on the page, we can agree that once we get to CIR, everybody else at the table will likely agree that those numbers are probably pretty close to what our market share is. So rather than look at uh, cost of living in general, um, we look at what our market share is, what the CIR trend of settlement has been, and what settlement trends have been in markets that are similar to ours. Gotcha. Uh, so you keep your bargaining very uh, local folk. Well, I guess local as in geographically focused, you might look slightly outside of your area, but you're not as concerned with the national numbers other than what the organizations put together. Because I guess whenever you, you get down to it and you have to go to the, the final resolution, if you have to do, if you have to send it up to CIR, those are the numbers, regardless of what you guys think about it. That's probably what people are going to look at. And that's that's a fair assessment. Luke, you've been very quiet down there, but very expressive. What national data do you use? Uh, touch a little bit on uh, if you use CPI or cost of living, living data. Talk a little bit about that, where you get it, how you use it. Go for it. So we use CPI to kind of track 
Uh, nationally, I mean, we track CPI. I actually don't give that information to my members unless there's uh, unless there's some reason to. I much more closely track uh, local CPI. So for I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota. There's something called the uh, Minneapolis St. Paul Urban CPI. That local information, that local CPI information is better. Generally, we have not done very well in trending our settlements with CPI. Um, so what I tend to look at isn't necessarily whether our settlements match CPI because they don't. They almost always are higher. It's the trend line. Like how far are we diverging from CPI as a trend over the past 10 years? We utilize that. Uh, I will say if you're utilizing CPI, make sure you know, understand what CPI is, how it works, whether you're using a chain number, an unchained number. Um, you know, that it's it can get goofy. And if you're looking at the wrong thing and comparing apples to oranges, it it can make you look foolish in negotiations. I, I wouldn't know anything about that, but I'm just saying someone might want to think about that. Just speaking for a friend? Just speaking for, uh, yeah. yeah. You mentioned uh, the Minneapolis-St. Paul data. Do you pull that from BLS? Yep. Okay. Yep. So Luke was talking a little bit about chained and unchained data, and I'm not going to get into an economics uh, lesson here with you guys because I'm definitely not the one to do that. The BLS has basically all this information available to you. You can dump it straight into an Excel spreadsheet to show these trends that Luke's talking about. Um, I can, I'll probably throw a link on the screen whenever we uh, put out this video, but also in whatever description goes with it, I'll put a link directly to uh, that section of the BLS website. My word of caution on that, be sure you have the right data. Even if you understand it, make sure you've pulled the correct one. Uh, the BLS data is not extremely intuitive when you're pulling it, um, and they most likely do not have data specific to your area. Luke is fortunate that they have one for the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Um, now, some areas, Philadelphia, if you're watching, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, uh, major metropolitan areas, you're fortunate. The BLS tracks your data. Uh, some of you may have local state websites that do it themselves. I very much support using uh, this kind of data because it is, number one, you can't refute it. It's the federal government's put it together. So we don't have any way of changing it or, you know, having an error. If it's wrong, it's wrong, but they've been doing it forever. I just want to summarize, based off of the discussions we've had, uh, the national data that's available to you as a chapter manager, you would have uh, CPI and COLA. So that's going to be the very, very top level. You can pull that both nationally and you can start to drill that down as low as you can possibly get it for your area. Um, if you want to have a conversation about that, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. Uh, but contact your field rep. They can get with me. We can set something up and we can spend all the time you want talking about it. I love talking about it, uh, but not now. So you have that. If we go down from there, you have NLMCC market share. And for those of you that are listening that are asking the question, when is 2018 coming out? Very soon, I promise you. So NLMCC market share, and then we have uh, the CLRC uh data where they, they show the uh, CBA increases and those are total package increases and you can see um, see those trends. There's other national data out there, 
but I think those kind of three right there, your, your CPI or uh, COLA kind of on the same plane, and then your CLRC and uh, NLMCC numbers are going to pretty much paint whatever picture you want to paint because uh, those are the ones that you're going to compare to your local data. Hey, everyone. Thank you for watching the Labor Relations Podcast, uh, Labor Thoughts. Uh, normally, you'll see Chuck and myself on the screen or we'll be joined by some guests like we were here. Uh, but right now it's just me. And the reason for that is this podcast, the one you were watching, uh, Data Driven Negotiations, was originally envisioned to be one podcast and that would provide you all the information you needed. However, when we started recording this, uh, the vast knowledge of my colleagues is just way too valuable for me to cut. I tried everything I could. I cut a lot of material. It was painful uh, because the material available is uh, very good, very useful. I think I might actually post a just a full unedited run uh, of our recording so that you guys can watch that and get all of it. But for time's sake, obviously, I try to cut these down to make it a little smaller. I'm going to have to break this podcast into two parts. What you've just watched is our discussion of data integrity. What does data mean? Is it important? And then also how we use national data, what national data we use, and also some little excerpts and asides to you know some of our bargaining experiences. In the next one, or part two, we'll talk about local data and its impact at the bargaining table. So yeah, hey, thank you for watching Data Driven Negotiations Part 1. Part two to come really soon.